Welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by Music Information Center Lithuania. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be hearing conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. Diving into the very personal vulnerability of melancholy, the music of Dominikas Digimas pulls us into something that feels like our true nature. We enter into a deep reflection as the layers of sound appear, disappear, reappear and carry us inward. Joining me from his studio in Vilnius, we discuss many aspects of his creative journey. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture of the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers On Air. I do have Dominikas Digimas in my remote studio in New York City, and I'm speaking to him in Vilnius. And I just wanted to welcome you to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I am a listener of this podcast, and it's now very nice to be here with you and speak and have this conversation. Well, that's wonderful to hear. So I wanted to first ask you about memory. And I often discuss the topic with people trying to draw on early memories of when music became important to you. And of course, I know memory is actually important to you for your process about your sense of self as it relates to the sense of perception or how you view your understanding of what you see, feel, how you use memory and reflection to create. And how can you break down memory? And maybe you can describe different types of memory. And maybe what's your memory of finding the meaning in sound itself? Maybe you can remember the moment when you felt its importance. Yes, actually, uh, memory came into my field of topics very naturally uh, because more important for me all the time is to have right connection like myself connection with myself and with my past and the senses that I had and usually I reflect on things that were happening not very like long time ago but Usually I try to, to think about those things as a natural processes in my life uh, that usually people don't hear it, don't see it, don't feel it because we are rushing, we are having like a lot of things happening uh, on the same time. And sometimes you have uh, some feelings or maybe you can hear something uh, just if you will you know, stop a moment and during that moment listen what is happening and then I like to reflect maybe more in the structure way like when I'm working with music all the aesthetics also all this kind of melancholic attitude is like related with going to the past things and going more deep to the like senses what was happening at that time so I have a lot of memories from my childhood related with some kind of heuristic moments. For example, I play with some kind of old tools or I'm walking in the nature and I can, I don't know, I hear something unusual and I start to play with it or I put in the context of some kind of musical <laughs> material in my head. So, yeah those things were happening yeah and it's nice to collect them and somehow reflect them in the in the music but not straightforward but in the way of structuring things on how sounds can work together how they are interacting with each other in the way we interact with our environment so yeah
You mentioned melancholy. I'm wondering, is this an aspect of mind that you're attracted to or what is the function of melancholy? Yeah, I guess it's related with the process somehow. This state and maybe this emotion, if I can say, because usually my processes are quite long. If, if I have an idea, I work with it quite, for quite a long time. And I spent a lot of time alone and uh, reflecting on it. And yeah, somehow I put myself in this mood unintentionally. And I don't know, <laughs> the result is somehow kind of melancholical attitude in the sound. But it's not my first intention, it's more as a result. So I don't want to write intentionally uh, that kind of aesthetics or I don't know, but somehow it happens. And I guess now I can like guess that it's related with process of working of how I work. And yeah, because when I writing, I don't write straightforward. There is a big pre-compositional process. And during that process, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like painting some mandala or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, you spend a lot of time on just structuring, on, uh, I don't know, working with pencil and paper and makes combinatoric things with harmony and somehow related with my process of work, I guess. And the result is this kind of sound. So the result becomes melancholic in experience, but the intention isn't there. But I think it's important to say that you're attempting to connect with an inner state rather than a mechanical, you know, structural way of thinking, even though it sounds like this pre-composition process may have aspects of structure in it. And could you walk us through just maybe one example of a pre-composition process? Yeah, for example, my one of the last pieces for wind orchestra, I spent more than half of a year of just working slowly, step by step on it. And I started with no idea what I will do, just catching with chords. I had instrumentation. I knew what kind of instruments it would be, and I separated it into two groups. And then I tried to attempt a result of something happening like in one group, in another, and those two things create something third. <laughs> so I made a series of chords and then I give each note for each instrument. So it's very boring to play, I guess, because usually, for example, one instrument just, I don't know, contemplating on one note and, and then I uh, slightly change it and everything is related with uh, timbral changes. So then I wrote a series of chords and I made a relation, like durational relation with a pitch. And then I slowly, step by step, put each note <laughs> to the score. Yeah, and during this process, I was reflecting of what is happening with this material and what uh, it reminds me. And then one day I uh, listened uh, my archive of sounds because I'm doing some field recordings. And there was a named folder just with a sound files with no names. And I listened and I thought, what is happening here? <laughs> and it sounded like a C, but wasn't a C because there was a date. And I remembered that at that time, I there was no me by the sea <laughs> and yeah and there was one sound that after which i understood where this recording was taken and uh, i was really fascinated by this idea when uh, you almost remember something <laughs> that is related with the sound but it's completely different material and there was a recording from the forest at night during the storm and that sea sound were pines in the wind. And yeah, I really liked this idea and somehow it was very close 
to the process I was working on that there is two different kind of groups that have uh, their own kind of uh, pulse and then they create something new <laughs> together so and everything is like related with this oscillation of sea of forest so So you find this connection to nature sometimes to provide rhythmic materials. Very interesting. And also, you know, I, when I listen to your music, I find myself being brought into a state of everything slows down. And we live in a society now where there's so much multitasking going on and mental fragmentation and not being able to pay attention in general. And so this seems like a very useful style for the general public because, you know, we need it. You know, we need to reflect and to connect and to relate. And I think that whether it's melancholy or whether it's even regretful times in our life or maybe even depression, to be honest about how it feels and then relate to it. And I think the musical landscape gives us this chance to find this center in ourselves and then connect to it. And I think that it's quite valuable. Yeah, actually you said a lot of keywords that really <laughs> related with music 
and the process I'm working on because usually I'm comparing my process and in the soundscape that we are living. And usually when we are going from the point A to point B, we don't listen what is happening around us and small details that happening around us. But you can just stop and listen what kind of orchestra is around you. So it's very nice example of how some sounds, some actions interact with each other. You're living in one cloud of sounds, for example, but they have their own logic and they have their own timbre. In my music, when I start structuring the piece and I have some primal idea, I am trying to create some kind of algorithm that will start action of sounds that should act naturally in the score. Like everything is fixed in the score, but the way it's written, it, it has some inner algorithm of natural things that are happening around us. So I sometimes I am inspired by things that I hear, see in the streets or in the nature. It gives me like starting point of create some way that sounds can interact with each other and create their own soundscape, yeah. Because usually I have just structure for harmony and maybe some relation with duration, but later I'm working on how I can like put some a new life to that series of chords and how can they live independently. So I rarely thinking about melodies or how I will develop them, uh, more about the way of how those series of chords can like sound in very natural way. So I'm kind of trying to recreate what is happening around but in that state that you mentioned, when you're in this calm situation where you can reflect on what is happening around you. For example, you're going somewhere, you just stop and try to look into one point and see what's happening in it. For example, on the ground, you see looking on the ground and there is a lot of things happening like bugs or sand or something are interacting with a wind. There is micro world, so...
Yeah, it's like stopping and paying attention. You know, you mentioned algorithmic ideas, and it brought to mind what I think is a misunderstanding for most people, and that is the concept, and maybe you've been accused of this, of being involved in minimalism. And I wanted to see if you could define for the audience what minimalism is for you, and maybe clear that up a little bit, because I think there's a stereotype about minimalism, and I think that you could say that there are minimalistic aspects of your music, but I'm not sure that you want to be labeled with minimalism. So could you possibly define what it means for you? For me personally, this term is like a historical term that describes some music that happened in 20th century in America and some other type of minimalism happened in Europe also. But I see minimalism as like really reducted music, like there is reduction made in all the parameters. And my music has a lot of happening <laughs> inside of it. So maybe there is reduction in some parameters also. Like I just have few chords and I developed all piece from that few chords or few sounds. But, but actually there is a lot of things happening in it and there is some kind of narrative in it in those pieces. There is some changes and there is more things happening than in minimal music <laughs> that we understand as minimal music like American minimalism or some European composers also. I can say that maybe my music and some music of my colleagues can be related not with minimalism but some kind of sort of music that is typical for more Nordic, North countries and North composers. And it's not about something minimal. <laughs> it's more about some kind of state and being in that state. And don't be scared to be in that state. Because especially in Europe, there is a lot of music that based on experiments on sound and how we can even more develop some technologies on sound. But sometimes I see that we are lost in this seeking for some new ways of developing sound and we are not thinking about why we're doing this. So for me, it's more important to answer why I am doing each of my pieces. And when I have a clear topic of the piece, then I can be sure that I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> because I cannot start just, yeah, maybe I can do some sketches. I'm doing maybe more with electronic material. And when I'm working more on theater pieces, then I can experiment on some technological parts. But I clearly should know why I am doing this. So yeah, maybe I'm using less sound and less experimental way of seeking for something new.
I wanted to ask you about this idea of sometimes when people are having trouble understanding the music, they'll actually say that. They'll say, you know, I don't understand it. And often I ask them about their dreams and I say, do your dreams make sense? Do your dreams seem logical? Do your dreams have a linear organization about them? Or is it something completely crazy and surreal and disorganized? And so this is, I think, a way in for people to open up their mind to this type of music is saying there's a dream state and then there's reality. And in the same way, there's a subconscious territory and there's a conscious territory. And I think you've spoken about this before in reference to REM, I think. And maybe this is the key accessibility point, is having an openness to what is not witnessed in reality, but actually it's either subconscious or possibly even a dream state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be, maybe not just a dream. It can be a state that reminds us the dream state, but I guess it's more than a dream because dream can happen when you're white opened eyes and during your daytime it can something happening in your subconscious. For example, you can do some work but at the same time something inside of you is happening totally different. So and you you should somehow understand it and catch it maybe and it's interesting to catch what is happening in your subconscious and why are you doing those things and it's interesting why, for example, when you're going for a walk, why are you going into one side and why are you stopping here? And yeah, somehow it relates with a dream, but also with a dream during our daytimes, like daydreaming. <laughs> yeah. When I think of dreams, I also think of the visual and often when, you know, say, I'll wake up in the morning and have coffee with my wife and sometimes we'll share these ideas. So what did you dream? And often the beginning of the story is, oh, I saw or I was somewhere. So it becomes visual. And I wanted to ask you about visual, about thinking in images and also how you connect the visual or emotions. I know you've done a little work with silent films, so there may be some importance for you about how the visual works into the creative process. Mm -hmm. It can be a source of inspiration, for example, even though there is a piece without visuals, but the visuals can work as an inspiration. For example, one piece that I wrote for a synesthesis ensemble, it's about the senses when you're walking to the same street again and again each day for example you're living in in your house in at your home and you're going out and each time you should pass the same street each time the surroundings are different the sounds are a bit different and you collect those things about that place in your subconscious and later maybe you can relate similar sounds from other place to that street and some visuals that uh, reminds you that street so it can work as inspiration and when i'm working with a video uh, uh, usually i work together with my friend and colleague christianus dirse because we work from very like early age from a teenage because we were in the same school and each time we are searching for a new kind of way of connecting video and music. It never illustrates each other. We like search for different way of doing this. For example, this silent film, Why Does This Appear? At the beginning, we collected memories from different people. After a month, we asked them the same questions and we compared those questions and out of it Christianus wrote a script and when the script was written I start to write music and there was a table of scenes uh, with time codes 
and I wrote a music uh, on that. And later, when we filmed this silent movie, the music were playing in the background and there was some other decisions made in how it should be filmed. And later, all the editing was made on the music. So at first there was a word, then there was score, then film, and then editing on recording, on recorded music. So it has really tight relation, video and music material that this is just one option, how we do it.
You mentioned synesthesis, and I wanted to turn to that topic. This is an ensemble, not just any ensemble, but highly successful ensemble. Many people, even in studies, will create an ensemble and use it for a while. But this ensemble was created and is doing quite well, not just in Lithuania, but in the world. And you are a co-founder of this ensemble. And I wanted to congratulate you on whatever that it took to bring that special set of circumstances together and that it formed into something that it became today, not only a group to play music, but to build careers and to really move the community of contemporary classical music forward culturally and internationally. So I wanted to ask you, what was the original vision of creating this ensemble and how can you possibly explain the importance of how you created it such that it's so successful? Yeah, so it started 10 years ago. This year is like anniversary year. After less than a month, it would be birthday of Ensemble, 10 years. And when we started it, I was in the first year in composition in Academy. And Carlos Borokoy's conductor, he was in the third year. So we both have some vision of creating this kind of organization, but from a different perspective. And Carlos actually... He had this idea for more time because he and his classmates made an opera in school because our school has a tradition of, like, uh, last year students are making their own opera. So they already had a basis of friends that want to do it. And one time he asked me in the academy, I remember we were buying coffee, and he told me this idea. And actually, I had the similar idea, but from different perspective. He wanted to collect people that are interested in contemporary music, like his friends that are interested in contemporary music and uh, develop their skills by playing other friends' music. And my idea was that my and my colleagues' music, usually we needed to find and uh, to search and find uh, musicians for playing it. And for me, it was when you write a music and you not perform it, it was completely nonsense because it's part of creative process. And actually, I also wanted to find some people that are interested in collaboration. So we had this duo of those two ideas. And then we started to find a way how it can work. And at the beginning, there was a lot of musicians and it was like... 20 and even more in the first concert and there was 10 different pieces with 10 different instrumentations like uh, flute quartets, mixed ensembles, string quartets, vocals. But later it had its form, the form was shaped, <laughs> the, the instrumentation was found. Maybe it was mostly influenced by ensembles in Netherlands because we had a friend that studied in The Hague and we were like very influenced by the things that were happening there and we really liked the sound that for example local ensembles there had for example mixing some classical instruments with electric guitar and saxophones and and some, some mixed other instrumentation so after some years it had its form and then Actually, the biggest success started when Marta Finkelstein started to curate and be like artistic director of Ensemble, because we were more into the music and uh, more into the pieces, and she knew the ways of how to present for the people that music and those ideas, and then she started to curate and this whole success that uh, Ensemble has now, it's the result of big work of her. Yeah, and creative, and not, not only marketing, but creating also ways of the vision should be developed. So 
it's also a creative process that Mart is all the time trying to do, not just organize, but each concert and each program has its own concept and it's like a piece of art itself.
Yes, I think that word curation is important because it definitely is similar to even creating a piece of music, having this larger structure of creating meaning in event of how to present it, etc. And it's nice that she blended in synergistically with the other forces that made this, basically made everybody stronger. You know, it goes back to this idea that one plus one is infinity, that you get energy from other people that becomes larger than the total of its parts. And then some third thing starts to develop and takes control of the direction and the future. So again, congratulations on all of that work and also the, all the recordings and just the way that you spread the music out. I wanted to ask you what is in the near future for your work and what are your current plans for what's coming up in the work of Digimas? So there is a few things. <laughs> the biggest thing now I'm working on is a new opera. It's a co-production of three institutions. It's National Opera, National Drama Theatre and uh, Opera Mania. So it would be a piece together with uh, director Camilla Gudmonaite that we're working on now for, uh, I guess, two years. So this is the biggest project and it has a deep, I don't want to say meaning, but it's very meaningful for me and it's very interesting because uh, I will shortly <laughs> tell uh, how we worked. We put a phone box uh, near the National Opera House and in that phone box, you can tell things that you never had a chance to tell for somebody. Maybe those people are not anymore here. Maybe they are here, but you don't have a connection with them. So for a half of a year, people were going to that phone box. It was open 24-7 for everybody. And they were speaking with those people and we were recording it. And now from those recordings, Camilla made a libretto and now I'm working on music. And in the December we will have a premiere. I also work with Twenty Fingers duo on the long-term piece. We're walking each year to the different sides of Vilnius. And we have just starting point and ending point. And we are working separately and randomly and then we compare our roots and compare our feelings and what we heard and out of that i write a piece of music and we are collaborating also with visual artists and we will make a audiovisual performance out of it and we already recorded two parts of music and it would be also a project with violinist Laura Kmelovskaita, which were inspired by residency in Arctic Circle that we were in December in Norwegia. So it would be a fairy tale about things that you never had a chance to see, <laughs> but you saw a lot of images of it, for example, uh, Northern Lights and some senses of being a way of your everyday life. I love this parallel of uh, seeing things that you don't get a chance to see and saying things that you don't get a chance to say. And it's not a new idea for you. I was thinking of a psychoanalysis, a transference of 2016, where some of these ideas were taking shape already. And that was almost seven years ago where you're actually thinking about this therapist-patient relationship, but there is a place to uh, express yourself about certain things that you would never tell anybody about, but at the same time would be very meaningful because it reflects a very deep and personal honesty about something that you really feel or you really care about. So I, I think that's very meaningful, and I'm really happy to hear that you're continuing at least philosophically, to work on that as a project basis in a new and a grand project. So congratulations on that. I can't wait to hear it. And I really wanted to thank you so much for your time today and thank you for 
being a part of this podcast. Let's keep in touch and possibly next time in Vilnius we can get together. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's very nice to have conversation like that because usually you have those thoughts inside your head, but you don't have like opportunity to express them and go deeper in them. So it was a very nice conversation together with you. Thank you.